Um, today, so Saad invited me to give a lecture in software testing um, in the Embedded System 1 course. Um, and this lecture, in a way, has the, has the purpose of giving you a flavor um, of software testing. And in, I mean, it's introducing, I think, engineers and especially young engineers uh, why and how to test software in general and embedded software in particular, uh, embedded systems. Um, yeah, so maybe I can just uh, tell a couple of words about myself. Um, so I'm a researcher uh, that is uh, affiliated with the software testing laboratory at the MDH, but also with the formal modeling uh, and analysis group um, at, uh, at, this, at the same university, Mellard University. Yeah, so in the first part of the of this lecture, we will talk about testing in the context of uh, software verification. Um, software testing is just one element uh, of a broader, uh, I mean, topic uh, that is often referred to as software verification and validation. And I mean, verification refers to like set of activities that ensure that the software software correctly implements a specific function. And validation is a bit different because it refers to um, ensuring that the software has been built um, in the correct way and it's traceable to the customer requirements. In a way, in another way, I mean, you could actually see verification answers the, the question if we're building the product right. And validation answers the questions, are we building the right product? Um, and testing is just one way we can assure quality in the software. So, I mean, others can be code reviews, uh, simulation, algorithm anal analysis, formal verification. You can do modeling. You can do so many other, other things. So why do we actually verify software? I mean, I don't have to tell you but <laughs> this, but I will, I'll just repeat it because I think it's, it's good introduction. I mean, because software, I mean, defines our world and we have in transportation systems, space exploration, health, power plants, just to name a few examples of systems, software becomes an essential component and all of them are running software um, that optimistic consumers like all of us assume will never fail or some of us do. Um, but as we all know, they do. Um, I mean, software is buggy. Um, it contains um, it contains bugs. So here is a, a here is a bug that is annoying, was annoying in a mobile application. I think this is long time ago. Mobile me. I don't think it's available. Uh, but it was related to the billing information. So even in um, in this case, I mean, some people or companies might lose some money. Um, the, re the real problems appear when the software is part of dependable system in embedded application. In this case, you just, oh, yikes, did they take my money or not? Um, but here's uh, some example of spectacular software failures in embedded systems. A very public failure was the Mars lander of, I think, in September 1999, which crashed due to a misunderstanding in the units of measure used by two modules created by two separate software groups. I mean, one module computed, uh, trusted, I mean, computed the thruster data in English units uh, and forwarded the data to a model that expected data in metric units. Um, so this is just a very typical integration fault. 
but in this case well this was enormously expensive both in terms of money um, but I think also prestige um, one of the most famous cases of software killing people is the Therac 25 radiation therapy machine I mean software faults were actually found uh, to have caused at least three deaths to due to excessive radiation um, even more um, in other radiation machines um, another dramatic failure was the launch fa uh, the launch failure uh, of the first Ariane 5 rocket which exploded I think 37 seconds after liftoff and that was like in 1995 or 1996 I don't remember um, I mean Ariane 4 had the correct guiding system but engineers working on Ariane 5 um, wanted to reuse uh, the successful guidance system from Ariane 4 but no one reanalyzed re the software with the new flight trajectory so system tests that would have found this problem were difficult to execute so they were never not performed and um, uh, I mean the the result was um, spectacular and expensive um, in this case um, Another well-known case is the Boeing uh, 737 MAX, um, which you might have heard of. I mean, that resulted, I think, in a loss of a lot of people, I think 300 or more, billions of dollars. And investigators actually stated that the faulty software uh, contributed to, the two, uh, to these two fatal crashes. And they actually reported that during simulated flight tests, um, if a software component inside the flight computer uh, fails, it might cause a panel in the airplane tail to move, uh, pushing its nose downward. Um, so also a faulty sensor have to, has triggered the software when it shouldn't have, leading to, I think, the pilots to wrestle with the plane as they struggle to pull, their, pull the nose back up. Um, I mean... These public, fatal, and expensive software failures are getting more common and more widely known. And this is just a symptom of the times we're uh, living. Um, and we are using more safety-critical, real-time embedded software in our lives. So we need software to be dependable. Uh, and testing is one way to assess dependability. But first, we need to be clear what we mean by the word, I think, bug in order to clearly know um, what you know, bug finding techniques um, we can uh, use and how. Um, um, I would like to talk about test design. So we will actually look at the most complex intellectual activity in software testing, which is the first step in which a, in which a human tester manually creates test cases or scripts that guide the execution and also um, uh, how manual how, how tester um, check the software results uh, uh, for uh, for correctness so i think it's it's important to actually look at this aspect um, uh, in detail so one view on on this is that um, testing is actually different from writing test or test design um, another way to look at this, uh, the same definition of test design is related to test design techniques. 
and Sigrid Eld is a researcher at um, Ericsson uh, in Shista and had, she has done uh, an extensive research in test design techniques and test automation. I think she got her PhD also from Melodon University. And the view is that she's advocating is that test design is a phase with a goal to create test cases. And a test case is the result of applying, you know, a test design technique to a specific location of the software system application or the, soft, yeah, the software in general or the system. So she is arguing that test design is more important, uh, the more complex or quality demanding the software system is. And she has a point. Um, another view exemplified by Jeff Offutt, who is a professor of software testing as, at George Mason University, is that the true subject matter of, test, of the tester is not testing, but the design of test cases. Um, so this is a, a, another view which I think it's quite good and can show you actually the difference um, um, be, I mean how, how the difference between just doing some testing or debugging or um, doing some type of verification and test case design and test case design test design can be the I think the determining factor in whether tests are successfully finding failures in software and tests can be designed with a human-based approach, uh, where a test engineer uses domain knowledge of the software uh, or his own experience uh, to design tests. I mean, that will be effective at detecting faults. Uh, I mean, test cases can also be designed to satisfy well-defined well engineering goals, uh, such as coverage criteria. Um, and in this case, in criteria-based test design, uh, we design uh, test values that satisfy, in general, engineering goals. So, yeah, when 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 looking at um, criteria-based, um, coverage-based test design, or criteria-based test design, this is more like a technical and mathematical job. We apply criteria in a certain way, and we need knowledge actually of discrete math programming. Um, and, and this is quite different from human-based test design. The tester, I mean, in that case, as I said, must have knowledge of the software or the system, um, for example, of user interfaces in case of GUI testing or embedded system knowledge when you test an embedded system. Um, and usually human-based test designers explicitly attempt to stress uh, tests, uh, to create stress tests tests that stress the software by including very large or let's say very similar values, invalid values or other test data that the software might not expect during, um, during typical behavior. Um, and I mean, sometimes coverage-based test design can be blind um, to special situation and may miss problems that human-based tests would not. Um, so I think that's an important distinction that you should know. Um, also, one, one thing that maybe, uh, maybe you know or maybe you don't, that when these test cases or scripts are not created before um, you do test execution, the approach is called exploratory testing. So there, is, there are ways you can actually write, well, do testing without writing test cases. So in this way, you are just exploring in a way what the software does. And I think everyone, 
every one of us actually done some type of exploratory testing. Um, so I can actually put a link also about exploratory testing that you might find interesting. Um, I mean, there are many factors actually that influence these activities, not only technological, because I think usually we focus on the technological aspects. But there are also other, like organizational structure, training, experience, testing knowledge, automation environment, testing standards. And usually we have humans involved in the creation of test cases that are basically trying to just solve certain problems that have been posed to them. I mean, maybe sometimes you get an assignment from a test manager. You should test this function um, in a certain way. Or you recognize some problem on your own. I mean, you need to have a, some type of confidence uh, in releasing a certain feature. Um, so we know that there are many, uh, there is a diversity of testing problems and goals. Um, um, and I mean, the ways people go um, about solving them um, shows a number of char characteristics to general problem solving. So I'm showing on the slide um, um, a model uh, on how um, humans actually do testing, test design. Um, and the model shown on the slides is centered around our observation that test design and execution can be viewed as a problem-solving process. So as a starting point, I mean, you have the software testing cycle viewed as a classic problem-solving process, and it, it contains five uh, uh, actually four main stages uh, and then also a couple of sub-steps that I will just go into just a bit of details. Um, so you can identify the test goal. You need to recognize and identify what's the problem that needs to be solved. Um, and there are actually many type of problems that you can identify. Those are, as I said, those that are presented, those that are created, um, uh, and those that are discovered. Um, then you need to define the test goal. What do I need to under? How do I need to understand? I need to understand the test goal mentally, but also you need to to know how to do it. Um, so the test goal definition is the aspect of of testing in which I think the scope um, and the test goals are clearly stated and described. Um, so it's more like a set of givens that, that are given to you. So that, oh, we need the creation. We need to create test cases fulfilling a certain test goal. Um, uh, then you need to analyze knowledge. So you need to organize your uh, his or her testing knowledge about the testing goal. Um, I mean, you have everyone approaches. I mean, in a in a unique way. This uh, so for somebody with knowledge in test design techniques. Analyzing its uh, prior knowledge would mean like going through its um, its knowledge in, in test testing. Um, I mean, uh, even at a more general uh, level, there are many skills like motivation, allocating cognitive resources, inferencing, inferencing abstraction, generalization that one can use, but also domain knowledge. In, in for embedded systems. I mean, you need electrical, mathematical, computer science concepts, as well as programming concepts, rules and principles. So all of them is needed to actually analyze the knowledge to create test cases. And then you need to form a strategy. Uh, so you need to develop a, a solution strategy for creating the necessary test cases uh, using uh, some, some type of, um, you know, you, you need to have operations to perform 
to get to the goal state. And the goal state is to create the test cases. Um, so I don't know, for example, um, um, mathematical op operators like division, um, what else, um, multiplication. I mean, you can have calculations or estimations or simulations that you're using. Um, and you're forming your strategy for creating these test cases. And then at the end, you need to organize this information and allocate the resources. I mean, sometimes you need mental uh, resources, but in some cases you need physical resources for creating and, uh, and, um, and executing uh, those test cases. So sometimes you need to write executable scripts and allocate certain computing resources for executing those. If the test cases are run by hand, uh, then test testers will allocate you know, those physical resources. And then you need to monitor the progress. Uh, you monitor, uh, I mean, the result of the creation and the execution, uh, and then you use what we call test oracles. And these test oracles are just embedded into the scripts and manually monitor when the correct output cannot be, uh, can, I mean, can be uh, encoded. So um, this is just basically the expected output and the comparison between the expected output or the expected behavior of the software and the actual behavior. And I mean, this process applies to testing of any type of software, including embedded systems. Um, but one of the main differences between, for example, app testing, application testing and testing of embedded system uh, is that the latter has to be carried out on real hardware using very specific processes and more care for safety. Um, and that leads to a number of problems that needs to be tackled when designing um, test cases. And I just want to show you a typical embedded system testing process. So in an embedded system domain, you have software failures uh, in like communication equipment uh, that can lead to let's say, even isolation of nodes in a vehicle or plant, um, it turn can, I mean, can lead to delays or loss of, I mean, productivity or even loss of life in extreme cases. And an important aspect of, of, of testing embedded system uh, is to conduct some test, some of some testing on real hardware. And a common approach to support this is to provide the test environment uh, with devices. Um, so where does test design fit in an industrial embedded system engineering process? Um, in a recent study, actually, we investigated several large companies in Sweden and we identified some type of flow diagram uh, for a typical software testing process in an embedded system domain. So this is one, this looks like, like this. You have a, a development team, so that's number one on the slide, that produces new software. Uh, or software with changes. Um, and this is tested in a short and very fast loop locally at the developer desk. So you basically can have your laptop and you have some, some you're testing maybe some, just the code in isolation. Um, and the only thing that you need is your laptop to do, to, to get results. So you write scripts, uh, you execute them, you get the results. Uh, but in some cases, you need uh, special hardware. I mean, this is a bit uh, slower feedback, uh, slower feedback loop. 
uh, and that's number three on the slide, where you actually need some equipment. So basically you just, you're at your desk with a laptop and some equipment. Uh, maybe it's an FPGA board, maybe it's another type of board, maybe there, is a, there are other things that you need to have for, complete, for completing your test, for testing. And if the software is tested, for example, even in a, in a test environment, um, that's number five on the slide, there, then there might be gates actually slowing the process down. Um, that means that in some cases you have a process that tells you that, oh, you should do this in a certain way. Um, and you, there are many people involved, uh, not only you uh, as, a, as a tester. I mean, this slows down uh, the process and there is a need actually for a dedicated testing. So maybe you, you write your, your, your code, you write some test cases for your code, but then when this is run on the actual test environment, there will be other, there will be a dedicated testing. And I mean, testing, in this way produces test results. And these are usually stored, stored in a test result database. And sometimes these results are pushed back to the developers because there might be a, you know, there was a failure and they found why, what, what was the problem and the developer will need to actually debug this. Um, so uh, there will be a, some troubleshooting. Um, but sometimes actually um, it might be that, you know, if for acceptance testing, there will be external testing, but those results are not used. They go to what we call the void uh, because uh, um, everyone can live with those uh, failures apparently. Um, so for each testing cycle here, the test design can be used from developer testing um, to acceptance testing. Uh, so these are different type of, 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 uh, of testing uh, levels unit or developer testing integration testing where you add um, more you know components um, and you integrate the system in a different way or and also system testing where you test the system as a whole um, and as well as acceptance testing where you do it on the final product um, with the customer and this uh, this is this is something else so for each type of testing test design needs to be used in 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 different ways um what is interesting here is that testing es or testing about the system uh when applied to this yeah when i mean test design applied to this complex system like including embedded system starts with the software artifact the es artifact the embedded system artifact so this could be the program source uh it could be a diagram it could be a natural language requirement or even a user manual um and if you remember we talked about criteria-based test. A criteria-based test designer uses this artifact, for example, to create an abstract model of the embedded system. It could be that you're representing a simplified version of your embedded system in a graph, for example. And then you have a coverage criterion that is applied to this to create the test requirements. So for example, in a graph, if edge coverage is being used, a test requirement is specified which is specifying which edge in a graph uh, must be covered. Um, and then the input values that satisfy the requirements are defined. And if you see in the slide, when once we go from test design to test automation, we need to create those input values that satisfy uh, as I said, the requirements. So this brings the process down from 
the design level to the implementation level because you need to be able to execute those test cases. Um, so maybe the you know the model of the embedded system is quite um, I mean it's realistic to some extent, but it doesn't actually take into account uh, the implementation. So this needs to be uh, automated somehow. And um, this is actually automated into test scripts that are run on the embedded system to produce results, um, if possible, and the results are evaluated. So, um, I mean, this process of testing complex system has at least um, one major benefit. Uh, there is a clear separation of tasks between test design, automation, execution, and evaluation. So I just wanted to put this in perspective. The problem also with uh, that I don't show here, but I might... Need, I will talk a bit about later, is that in some cases um, um, you cannot um, instrument the code or get information because that will actually affect the behavior, the timing behavior. So I think in some cases you would need to have um, uh, limited amount of real-time testing that you can do and you need to take those into account and have yeah ways of of monitoring what's happening, but that's not that easy. Um, but just to give you a summary of the test activities, you have test design, and there you design the test values to satisfy the goals. Um, this can be done in two ways, criteria-based or human. Criteria-based is that, requ that requires knowledge of programming, testing, discrete math, uh, and human, which requires knowledge of the domain, UI, testing, embedded system, uh, domain knowledge. Um, in many tester have both. Um, so that's good. But the next step is automation. What do we do with this test cases that we design? So we need to embed these values and test cases into executable scripts. So this requires knowledge of scripting. Um, and then you need to run those tests on the software and record the results. And Actually, the execution requires very little knowledge, but I think there are actually some problems there that needs to be solved, uh, but I will not go into details uh, for that. And the last step, which is quite important, is the evaluation. We need to evaluate the results of testing, um, or I mean, the re to report it to developers, and this usually requires uh, domain knowledge. And these are uh, four actually um, general test activities um, um, that are quite different. And I mean, it's usually a poor use of resources to use uh, people um, in, uh, you know, in, in, not a, in a, not a good way. So most test teams use the same people for all four activities, but uh, there are cases where you need different people uh, because you need different knowledge. Um, so there are actually modeling of, as I said, modeling of the software artifacts is the first step in test design. And there are actually at least four main structures for modeling uh, uh, test goals for system in general. So there are graph-based, uh, logic-based, input space, and syntax. Uh, and this can be actually applied for different software artifacts like uh, source code, specification, design, or use cases. So you can apply the same structures for modeling, like graphs, to different type of artifacts. And the same applies to logic. You can apply it to source, FSM, which is final state machine, 
specification um, and input space you just take into account just the input space of the program um, and that can be done in uh, actually in tabular form or combinatorial um, trees or something like that um, but also you can apply it to the syntax and this are the, the syntax uh, modeling can be applied to source specification and input um, but I, I will not go into many details you can find more uh, um, this, uh, in, in the introduction to software testing but also in the in the course the software testing course the software verification and validation course if you are taking it um, but I think I, I think it's important to talk about what what do you I want to test especially it, uh, when we're testing embedded systems um, so this is, I mean, test design, as I said, this is where you spend most of your time. It is also the, the activity with the largest impact on quality. And a bad test design model leads to bad test cases. A good test design model not only leads to good test cases, but also to good requirements. Uh, because it provides, I think, a, like a comprehensive uh, and understandable overview of the system under test. Of, of them or its environment of or, or the test themselves uh, therefore just writing the model requires special care you need to know exactly what do i want to test so the question uh, to ask is what exactly do i want to test and uh, this answer strongly de depends on the test level do i want to um, test the component the unit in isolation do i need to focus on integration system level testing or acceptance testing um, we also have different tests during verification and validation. Um, for example, during validation, we, we can check whether the system really corresponds to what the system validation... I mean, it could be that we want to check that the system really corresponds to the business uh, requirements um, and the product requirements. Um, and then there is a difference between functional and non-functional uh, testing. So um, even if usually test design is uh, uh, usually associated with the function, testing the functionality of the system, we can focus also on load testing or stress testing uh, or focusing on like different aspects like security, safety. And these are, these are quite important also, especially for... Um, for um, um, embedded systems um, so and also I think the nature of the system under test is quite 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 important as I said it could be that you have um, a web-based user application and you try to look at overall performance or you're trying to test the communication protocol in your system and then you look at the timing aspects um, so you basically need to take this uh, this aspect into account um, and also, of course, the development process. If you're doing Agile, um, if you're following some type of DevOps uh, uh, practice, um, then it will actually depend how you write test cases and how, how you do that. Um, so it is actually a common misunderstanding that you need, you know, just one model that, that covers all tests. Um, and test design models can be quite complex uh, since they usually are interpreted by by uh, some tool maybe uh, or by a human being and uh, uh, requires quite a lot of effort to keep them uh, readable even um, so for example to to 
uh, verify the graphical, let's say, user interface of the credit card reader module. We write a, a test design model. Um, so we want to check that the credit card reader module with the fuel pump, um, we wish to create the, we wish to check that the credit card reader module works with the fuel pump. And in order to test the entire function for workflow, it is not necessarily to, to, to give the details of the pin entry process. So therefore, I think the model can be, uh, I mean, should not contain this pin entering process, but uh, we could summarize the entire process into a single step called authenticate with a valid card. And that's the step. You don't need to, to go into details. So we have, we can have, I mean, two models describing the same functionality with different degrees of detailing, what we call abstraction. Um, and actually, there are many, many techniques that have been proposed to determine what, you know, test cases are required uh, to efficiently and effectively test software. So you can have equivalence partitioning and boundary value analysis. These are just two examples. Uh, on the left-hand side of the slideshow, uh, I show a simple, I think, high-level diagram of a test design model. Um, so depending on the reference speed, uh, the brake-by-wire brake system will process the brake request um, from both the drive line control and the brake pedal. So um, you have a torque request that is calculated in the second state. Uh, depending on the input brake request. So this request can be divided into equivalent partitions, each of them with some interesting values uh, selected on the boundary of these partitions. Um, so that's how we could actually build these equivalence classes to test that the request we should, I mean, we should, I mean, to test the request, we should actually have combined each partition in a certain way. Um, um, so this is one, one way to, on how to apply this. So one question is, okay, so we create test cases different using test techniques. Um, when do we actually stop testing? Um, so there are many actually, I think even taxonomies out there in the literature on test selection criteria and how do we, uh, how do we select test cases and when to stop. Um, and in this lecture, we, I will just focus on a couple of them. Uh, on requirement coverage, structural model coverage, data coverage, random test selection, um, um, but there are others. So this will actually, a combination, these are all related to the question, when do we stop testing? And this cannot be explained in a couple of minutes, but I can tell you that um, companies are using different test criteria for, me for measuring progress during testing. So uh, in, in practice, you will use many criteria um, uh, for for uh, for uh, checking this, including also the crit one criterion when you run out of money for testing and then you stop testing. Uh, um, if that's a good criterion, but it's sometimes it's the necessary one. Um, so let's just talk about requirement coverage. So this is one 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 way to stop testing when all the requirements are tested. So the requirement coverage is I mean is a very popular. Uh, selection criterion for test. Uh, so we reach full requirements coverage, as I said, if each requirement uh, in the selected set of the requirements are, is checked by at least one test case. So practically we need to link the requirement to, let's say, elements in our graph or model that we created and let the test case 
well, you could do it manually or you can do it automatically to select all the paths that are, um, you know, covering those model elements. Um, for example, on the slide, any of the any set of test cases reaching the cancelled uh, and too many invalid pins transition fulfill the requirement uh, coverage in this case. So this can be one long test case, um, or it can be a set of several short ones. So you can decide as a test designer uh, which of these test cases to 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 use. Um, yeah, so um, this only works if we document requirements. So if we have requirements, we need to document them to actually take them into account. Um, um, I mean, second, I think that it's important that test cases, test cases depend on the granularity of the requirements and if they correspond to multiple you know, elements. And uh, um, uh, you can see the requirement coverage is, is I mean, is not sufficient to achieve uh, um, you know, good qu quality, but it's one of them that actually um, um, brings some confidence uh, in your testing. Um, another way to measure coverage, test coverage, is to look at the structure of your code or structure of your test model, test design model. Um, so it's a, I mean, it's a basically a very generic term for a variety of coverage criteria based on the structure, as I said. So I, I mean, the idea is almost always the same. Uh, we identify some coverage item and try to reach 100% coverage for this item. Um, so, I mean, you have possible coverage items uh, that are, you know, graphical elements such as actions, states, flows, transitions in a graphical model. Or you look at the code and you say, okay, I want to cover all the branches, statements. Um, and I think all of you have taken some graph theory uh, courses and I think you can speak about nodes and edges. So, also in the same way. So, I need to cover all nodes and all, all edges in a graph. Um, so, um, I mean, it doesn't matter if you have, let's say, for example, action and decisions, these are nodes and flows corresponding to edges. Uh, and the principle remains the same in any type of diagram that you create, um, on paper or using a, a tool. Um, I mean, here, I just want to show you an example. I mean, this could be a graph that represents statements and branches, methods and calls, components and signals, or states and transitions. Um, so, I mean, there is a, I mean, this is a well-known example applied to a graph-based model, um, which is, I think, node coverage or statement coverage. Um, you cover every node. So in order to cover every node, you could actually have a a test case that goes through these nodes, one, two, five, six, seven, uh, or the other one. Um, so uh, you can actually cover uh, with these two test cases all the nodes. Um, then you can have edge uh, branch, edge or branch coverage. So you're trying to cover every edge in the graph. Uh, so you could have uh, these three test cases to cover all edges. So one, one, one observation here is that um, um, edge coverage always includes node coverage because all edges point to a node. So does edge coverage is stronger uh, criterion of those two. 
So if you could choose which one to use, I, I think you could easily see that Edge is the strongest uh, out of those two. But the, I think the strongest criterion for structural model coverage or for structural coverage in general is full path coverage that includes all possible combination of paths. Um, of course, it's impossible to reach full path coverage for diagrams with loops. So you have a loop, uh, you have to stop the test case uh, creation somehow, uh, either by limiting the number of loops or the complete uh, path length. So, of course, you need to actually put a stop to it somehow. Yeah. Um, another, another coverage is uh, related to data or combinatorial. Um, yes. Um, I think the basic idea that you need to, to get out of this is that we need to split the data, date, the, the, the input space, the data space into equivalence partitions, as we said. So from each equivalence partition, we select the most representative with the hope that elements of this class are equivalent in a way, in terms of their ability to detect a failure. Um, so instead of testing all combinations, a, sus a subset of combinations is gen it's, you know, uh, generated um, or, uh, or picked to satisfy some you know, well-known combination strategies. So I think there is a key observation here that is not every factor contributes to every fault. So it is often the case that a fault uh, is caused by the interaction among a few combinations. So... Um, there, 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 there was, there, there are a couple of studies uh, showing that uh, for 99% of the faults, um, uh, I mean, yeah, for 99% of the faults, these are actually um, triggered by uh, uh, the interaction uh, among uh, six or less factors. Um, and uh, I can provide the, 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 the links to this if you're interested after the lecture. Um, so yeah, I can, let's take an example. So if we have three parameters, um, P1, uh, uh, that takes the values A and B, P2, that takes the values one, two, and three, and P3, that takes the values X and Y. So um, if you just look at all combinations coverage, so you do all combinations of parameters, uh, of values, uh, then you require 12 test cases. Um, and I mean, another actually way to satisfy, you know, data coverage is to look at uh, each choice coverage. Um, so you basically just look um, at three test cases. Uh, because you're just looking at this, you know, you, you try to have each choice uh, in each test case. So, of course, the number of combinations is, I mean, higher than the one choice. And, I mean, if you think about it for a realistic system, this will lead to a test case explosion for realistic. I mean, you'll have many test cases. But in, 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 for some, some applications, actually, the data coverage is quite useful. So, I think this is something that uh, can be used for input space modeling or for when you take into account just the input inputs to a, to a program. So in this case, in this example, we had three inputs to the program, uh, P1, P2, and P3. Um, 
but this becomes yeah a problem when you have quite a lot of parameters that you need to take into account um, another way uh, I mean is to look at random testing and random testing is quite powerful so this is comparable to just a random walk through the system or through the model or to the graph you're creating um, and whenever you have to decide which way to go you basically roll the dice um, in the I mean in the easiest case I mean all you can just assume that all alter alternatives are equally probable but in other cases I think uh, uh, I mean even in practice one alternative might be more probable than, than the others so um, so I think there are ways to uh, uh, that the resulting path will determine the selected test case but still random test selection is commonly used uh, by challenging uh, the system under test with an increasing number of data parameters. So um, if you have the time and you have the tooling, then you could actually implement somehow a way to, to increase the number of data parameters that are need to be, I mean, that need to be executed to find the fault. Uh, and if it's, if you're supported by a, by a, by a test case generator, uh, then random test selection is an easy way to obtain a large number of different test cases by just pressing a button. So if you just look at the data space, there are a lot of randomly generated data that you can you can you can uh, um, obtain. Um, and, but basically the test data that finds the fault are, is you know a subset of that. And I think there are ways to to use that information. Uh, once you have it so if one input is the one that you know found uh, well changing one input to to a certain value uh, made you find a fault then that that's actually something that you can use for for generating more you know test cases because you know there is something wrong there um, um, but yeah that you could actually see that there are many companies using random testing um, even in embedded system domain but mostly now, I think there are a lot of software companies that are using it, like Netflix and Google and um, yeah, other software companies like even Ericsson. Um, but yeah, I, I there are other. I just want to mention other test selection techniques and that are maybe important. And uh, I'll just mention three of them. So one is the scenario or pattern-based test case selection. So example of an example of scenario would be that the main path of a use case i mean corresponds i mean it could be that it corresponds to the frequently used functionality or an error scenario that you have in mind uh, another way is the fault based big uh, fault based test selection i mean by using as i said previously occurring faults one can create test cases that are good at detecting them so you can run these test cases overnight um, uh, while you change something in the system and you run the same test case that you know discovered the fault before um, so fault-based uh, testing is quite quite powerful and of course there are project-driven I mean test selection techniques based on experience and domain-specific knowledge um, and I mean unfortunately we don't have too much you know knowledge uh, about how people actually do it in, in, in projects but that's something that we actually do research on and we're trying to to, to see if um, if we can encode this somehow and we, if we can automate it. Uh, but in practice, I mean, in the end, 
rarely one test selection criteria fits all your needs. So I, in practice, you use different, several test selection criteria, and you should be able to, um, you know, even cut the number of created test cases down to a manageable amount uh, and still combine in a systematic manner different test goals. So it is good practice, of course, to combine the choice of test selection criteria when you do um, test design. Um, and uh, this is quite, quite important. Um, this will be the last part of my, of my lecture um, and actually focuses on challenges in testing embedded systems. So we will end, I will just mention some challenges you might encounter when testing embedded system and maybe all of you or some of you will actually uh, continue uh, their career in the embedded system domain. Um, so this will be like uh, more like a heads up or um, some things that you might need to be aware, aware of. So why is it so difficult? I mean, just like any other software system, embedded system are prone to bugs and does require testing. And embedded system, embedded software testing has become more difficult. I mean, due to the widespread um, use of programming language, operating system, and evolving uh, platforms. And I just wanted to mention here that you have software, hardware, and also testware. And testware refers to uh, everything that is created during testing, including the test scripts. So not only that you have the actual software, the hardware, but you also have the testware that you have to take into account. So let's say, I mean, we know that the embedded system is the hardware plus the software, but also you need to take into account that when doing testing, you have the physical you know, resources like servers, cables, load generators. You have the software, you have operating systems, libraries, um, but also test the test framework for you with test cases in, in scripts. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, test cases are also code uh, and uh, these are part of the testware. And I think uh, it's, it's quite difficult to, to take all of this into account. Um, we actually identified in, in, the, in a study, um, I mean, not only us, but also um, we, there were a couple of studies that actually looked at uh, the, the, some challenges and several main challenges for software testing in embedded system domain. Um, and first, it's actually comprehending the, the objectives and details of testing. Um, and this is quite a big problem in, in industry. And uh, also the root cause identification, uh, poor feedback uh, to the developers, uh, postponed testing, uh, poor software artifacts, and uh, bad, I mean, bad, poor tools and test infrastructures and, uh, and distances. Um, but you can actually look, I will put the link to this paper so you can have a look on these challenges, but uh, I will just talk about challenge number two. Uh, and that's root cause identification. Uh, so understanding the origin of a failure. I mean, understanding the, 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 the failure in a complex test environment in an embedded system uh, domain is, I mean, it's quite, quite difficult. And the root cause of a failure may be located in the software under test, but it could be the test framework or it could be a hardware component in the test environment or it may be caused by shortcomings, I mean, bad things that you, uh, in, in the test case. 
um, like, for example, uh, the use of time um, delays in, 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 in test cases. So, that, I mean, the challenge is, is related to the um, issues uh, that are faced when understanding the faults that could also originate from, you know, poor, untestable requirements or for problems in the simulators. So it's basically super hard to know where the problem comes. Uh, and this is very much related uh, in some cases to what we call um, test flakiness. So flakiness is described as tests behaving randomly in different runs on the same system. So you have the same test case executed at least twice, same software, same or no hardware, uh, same test where different verdicts, different results. One time it passes, one time it's not. Uh, so the problem of flaky tests actually in, in a weather system is gaining more attention, especially, uh, but not only in, in a weather system. I mean, due to, because this is due to the demand for resources uh, and, uh, and, and the extent that, that the trouble they cause. Uh, so organizations like Google, Netflix, Ericsson, also, are, I mean, they report having flaky tests as they are, I mean, they have large code bases. And at, let's say, for example, at Google, flaky test is known to be the primary cause of inefficiency as additional resources are used for rerunning flaky tests. So in some cases, they they run the same test, execu they execute it a couple of times and they get different results. And in some cases, they just run it until it get, gets passed um, and this is not a, a, a good way to to testing and also you don't know what's happening so you need to actually um, um, you know understand so i mean in embedded systems i mentioned here there are a couple of causes for flakiness it could be that you have a, a test order dependency you have the involvement of the hardware um, it could be that the causes, I mean, belong to, I don't know, you're using asynchronous weight, concurrency, um, resource leak, uh, the network. Um, I mean, it could be the input-output operations, things like that. Um, so, for example, I can give you like the outcome of the test depends on the order it runs. For example, assume a call, um, a test called test one expects the resource to be in a particular state but in the meantime if another test called test 2 changes the initial state of this resource then test 1 ends up failing um, so this is uh, um, one example also network i mean the network is a resource it's hard to control um, but sometimes um, um, network failure occurs because developers do not take necessary measures i think to uh, to take this into account while programming. Um, and flaky uh, tests in the network can be actually divided in some categories. Uh, so you can have remote connection failure or bad socket management, for example. Um, but I will, uh, I think it, it, I'm putting here also a link. Well, I will put a link, but you can see here on the slide. It was actually a master, two master students from BTH uh, this spring. Um, that have investigated flakiness in embedded systems uh, and they looked at some of these aspects and how to eliminate them. Um, so you can have a look on that. I think it's an interesting master thesis.
uh, on on this subject. So, I mean, as we as we said, there is a there there are particular problems when testing embedded systems in 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 general that can cause even uh, I mean can cause flakiness, and one of them is research usage, as we talked. So, for example, energy usage becomes in, I mean increasingly important due to low energy um, demands. Um, so in principle, you have testing for execution time, you have quality of service, energy consumption. Um, I mean, this should not be more difficult than testing for branch coverage. Uh, um, we simply just require a different way to take it into, into account. Um, yes, so this is an example of an of of en energy bug. Um, and these are the, I mean, the energy bugs are the main causes for battery drainage, for example. So here are um, essentially faults in the program that can cause the device to consume high amounts of, of, uh, of energy. Uh, or, I mean, you, it can prevent the, the, the system from becoming idle. So I think you have a, one example is the wake lock bugs uh, that acquire an energy, you know, greedy hardware component. Uh, and fail to release it. Um, another one, another category is recurring callback bugs that consume a high amount of energy uh, or loop bugs. I mean, you have these high frequency loops that utilize this energy greedy component and uh, increase the energy consumption of the software. So the example on the slide shows the energy in time. So you have the energy consumption in green, shows the average power consumption of the device. That's the area under the curve. And um, the device keeps consuming energy um, even after a certain um, even after a certain routine has completed. And therefore we actually get a high level of energy consumed. So first we need to find the test case that can show the behavior. Uh, and then after fixing the code, we can run that same test case and measure again the energy, the line in orange. Uh, so this is the average power consumption of test case of the test case, and then you can see that the test, uh, the the, uh, uh, the power consumption is decreased, and the power state of the device is before and after the execution remains in the same. Um, so this is just to give you a a, a, a glimpse of what energy bugs are. Um, you can have also test, I mean, as we talked before about test design, we could actually do test design for, for finding energy bugs. Um, and um, we know that em embedded systems require the consumption of sometimes large amounts of energy. You can have irregular or sometimes low amount of energy. You can have irregular and heavy energy usage. I mean, that could lead to, you know, bad functionality. Um, so using the energy consumption at design time, uh, um, you, can, you need to have an estimation of the dedicated energy budget that can be computed. Um, so for example, if the actual energy consumption of the system doesn't exceed the energy budget, um, the system can complete its execution. Uh, otherwise, the system has exhausted its given budget. So to create test cases to find possible energy bugs, a developer should design test cases that cover energy greedy segments of the program. 
I mean, you can focus on the segments that contribute more to the energy cost of the software, and you can measure it, measure the energy consumption of the device during execution of those test cases. Um, so we are interested in, you know, you could be interested in spikes in energy measurements that uh, last, you know, long periods of time as well as maybe high energy consumption. That are, and this is, these are good indicators of energy bugs. Um, and you could actually, I mean, although measuring, you know, energy consumption is simple, this is actually an active research area that I'm not an expert in, but I, I've, I've actually worked in testing for energy consumption to some extent. And I mean, the, I mean, you can have hardware instrumentation based approaches that you use, you use physical instrumentation. So you solder wires to power leads um, to measure the actual energy of a system. And in, in this case, I mean, these approaches uh, are quite accurate since the measurement, uh, since they measure the actual energy usage. Um, however, the, <coughs> sorry, they're also expensive and um, they're actually quite difficult to use since they require actually specialized hardware to do this. Um, so in some cases they're, they're not super good. Um, then you can actually use simulation. So maybe you can have simulation-based simulation approaches where you have a, like a cycle accurate simulated uh, simulator and um, then you can estimate the, the energy consumption of each executed cycle. So you could actually use that. Uh, during testing, um, uh, they can be accurate, but they're also difficult to use. And then you can have est like estimation-based approaches where you build uh, models of uh, of this uh, um, energy uh, influencing features. Um, so these are frequently less accurate than hardware instrumentation uh, or simulation-based approaches, but they have the benefits of being easier to use and more widely applicable um yeah but I, I maybe i should mention this because i don't think i mentioned it until now when i talk about energy i say the energy consumed is by an electrical device is the product of you know power and time um so yeah, i mean it's measuring units called joule which is equivalent to i think uh, what was that what uh, what seconds um and uh, i mean yeah, you need to have an ability to measure the energy usage of a unit of software if it's if you want to optimize its energy usage. Um, so that's one 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 aspect that is quite quite hard. And I mean, I this is just to give you an example of the um, for the energy part. I think this is just an example to give you a glimpse of what will what would the tester <laughs> take into account. Uh, when working in this domain and I hope I don't know this gave you uh, a taste of what is like uh, to be a tester of software and embedded system it is super exciting and uh, we're actually at the frontier of research and development when testing these highly complex systems and you have many companies investors but also in other parts of the country the world uh, that are focusing on this um, so I just want to summarize now uh, what we did in this lecture so we looked at different aspects of software uh, testing and how this fits in embedded software development um, 
And after this lecture, I think you should be able to know to some extent uh, how a software, I mean, how a software development organization works when, when doing test design or developing embedded system in which several features or a, of a product are developed. Um, um, and in this environment, once a feature is completed, you have, you know, some way of creating test cases and you can actually test the software, analyze and visualize the test results. Um, so I think it's, I think it's good for you to be aware of this. Um, and yeah, I think just to let, let, I want you to also be aware that test cases are executed on different systems and hardware setups and uh, um, you use different type of test design techniques uh, to test uh, software and embedded software you can have uh, you know you need also to provide feedback to 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 as a tester you need to maybe provide feedback to the developer in terms of you know test criteria that you use or how to find the fault um, um, and uh, yeah we talked about uh, test design techniques, flakiness, energy consumption. Uh, but uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this lecture.